0: You know, and a little bit later, I just went around, you know, talking to some of the kids, and I said, do you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And she said, yeah. But she was so shy. She didn't want to get up when the boys got up and stuff. And so I just prayed for her and she just received right there. I mean, God is on the move today, and he's doing miracles around the world. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Hallelujah. We serve a mighty God, amen? Just to uh, give you a little bit about this trip, um, we did do two pastors' conferences, and our third pastors' conference turned out to be uh, a conference for Bible school students. They brought in Bible school students from three or four churches together. And the interesting thing you need to understand about the Philippines is that they go to school between 10 and a half and 11 months a year, so they graduate when they're 16 years old. Okay, so they're going to college when they're 16, 16, 17 years old. By the time they're 19 years old, they already got their degrees from college. Amen. So we understand that when you go with Bible school students and you have a group of Bible school students, they would be less like talking to juniors and seniors here. They're all 16, 17, 18 years old. All the Bible school students are very young over there. And so we had an opportunity to do a, a conference, And we ministered to the Bible school students in the morning and the afternoon. But in the evening, all the high school students came. And so we ended up, by the last day, we had over 100, 130, 140 feet young people in the the conference there. And we taught on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And over 100 came up to be prayed for. So we were excited about that. Then when we went to the Lower Islands... Uh, we did a crusade and during the crusade we have 15 people saved. plus we had a lot of miracles. Thank God for that. I believe many more were saved because uh, When you do conferences over there, you're in the middle of a town square There's a basketball court in every little town and the people all sit on the outside and pe- some people will come forward But when you when you start praying for people being saved You see a lot of hands up in the air in the back the people don't come forward But you know God is touching their heart so We know more, but we don't know. We only go by the ones who come forward. Amen. But uh, we did a youth conference there. And during this youth conference, uh, the pastor that we've been going to, uh, we went to there two years ago, he decided to grow, to gather a group of pastors together to start building, working together, starting to build kind of like a little fellowship thing. So the first thing they ever did together was our pastors conference so these eight pastors came together with their people and we had a wonderful conference and then we had a youth rally and the eight churches came they brought their youth and the youth invited other youth and uh, we had this conference with about I think there was about 80 85 young people there and uh, 21 of them got saved and 70 of them came forth to be baptized in the Holy Ghost so amen so you know we we went there to minister to adults we ended up ministering to the kids Amen. Because the average, the average of all the people that we prayed for to be baptized in Holy Spirit was about 16 or 17 years old. Amen. But when you go to the Philippines, you will find that when you come into a church, the whole praise and worship team is all young people. They're all, they're all teenagers because they learn when they're young. And we got, we got drummers over there that are 12, 13 years old playing the drums and they're playing guitars and, and and they're doing the dance. They're either dancing playing the tambourines or. Or they're doing the music. It's, in, it's incredible how much they love to worship God over there. Amen. With that in saying there, uh, I'm glad that the young people is in here because I have a message for you tonight. The Lord really, really has been speaking to me since I've been dealing with the younger people. The one thing I want to share with you as I get into the message is this. <clears throat> you have to realize that the decisions you make today will determine your future tomorrow. I don't, don't ever want you to forget that. The decisions you make today will determine your future tomorrow. Now, in this country, you have a wonderful opportunity. You have an opportunity to go to school, you have an opportunity to learn, you have an opportunity to be anything you want to be if you put your heart and your soul into it, amen? amen. You, you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can someday even be president if that's what your heart desires because you're born here Amen. You got just as much right as anybody else to. Amen. But while you're in school, you have a choice. You can study or not study. You can you can learn to study and, and, and be all that you can be and, and make this time a fruitful time to learn. Or you can take this time to be fooling around. If, if going around and being with your friends and and, and going drinking or smoking or, you know, just partying is, is the most important thing. Or being with the in crowd is the most important thing. That can be, the, that, that can be your, that's your choice to make. And you can make that choice. And then where, where are you? You know, we, we look at the kids of the Philippines and I always tell them you have a choice because you can be what you want to be. Or you can spend the rest of your life working in a little rice field or you can spend, you know, a lot of the young people uh, in the department stores over there, like if you walk into, if we had, a, for example, a Walmart over there, okay, when you walk in a department store, there's seven or eight people in every little department, and they, they walk behind you. As soon as you unfold something, they'll walk right behind you and fold it back up and put it right there. They're, they're, that's the way they are, they're all over the place. But they work all day, eight to 10 hours a day. Some work 12 hours a day, and American, American-wise, they make about $2 a day. But that's a full-time job for them because that's the only job they can get. And see, now, when I was in high school, I graduated from a Catholic high school, and, and my parents paid my way to go to school, and it was very expensive for my parents. My mother worked two jobs because she wanted us to have a good, quality Catholic education. She didn't want us in a public school. And without that. The smartest girl in our class, she she was planning to be a doctor. But, on the summer between our junior and senior year, she went and had sex with our quarterback and she got pregnant. And her reputation was shot, her whole future was shot. She never went to college because she had a little baby she had to take care of. And that one decision for that one night changed her life forever. You listening to me? One decision. One little decision can change your whole life. One little thing. And so it's very important that you understand where you're at in your life and what you want out of life. Because if you really want something out of your life, if you really want to be something, then you're going to have to make a decision that you're going to go for it with all your heart. And that nothing is going to take you away from that. Because this is your goal. There's always time for family later. There's always time for all this other stuff later. But... You know, it doesn't mean that you can't enjoy life. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy things. But you have to make the right decisions at the right time. Amen. Now, I want to share a story. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 15. We're going to talk about the prodigal son today. And I'm going to show you some input that God has given me on this. And hopefully it blesses you. We're going to read a little bit here. I'm reading out of the NIV. So in Luke chapter 15, starting with verse number 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Let's just stop there for a second. I always look at this story, and I think to myself, why did the son want to leave home? Now, I have an older brother and I had a lot of hand-me-downs and I had an older brother that always wanted to tell me what to do. Maybe he got tired of his older brother telling him what to do. Maybe he got tired of being second fiddle. Maybe he got tired of hand-me-downs. Maybe his father was so strict that he didn't like being in that strict environment so when he went to school and all his friends were having fun and he wasn't able to have fun. He wasn't able to go to the parties. that He was always home doing chores. He was always home doing something. It doesn't tell us why this son wanted to leave home. And it just didn't happen that he woke up one day and he said, Dad, I want my money so I can go. He'd been pondering about this for a long time. It just doesn't happen. And see, when we look at the root of rebellion, it always begins with self-will. Now, self-will, it's all about you. Why can all my friends go and I can't go? Have you ever asked your dad you wanted to go to a party or you wanted to go someplace and you can't go? He says, but my friend Jessica is going, Mary is going, how come I can't go? I have four sisters. I had to deal with that all the time. Amen? Because my father was very strict when it came to the girls. Uh, The boys had a little more leeway, but the girls, they had no leeway whatsoever with my father. And they used to sneak out of the house. And I remember because I used to help them do it. <laughs> Amen. But, but you understand what I'm saying here. What caused him to want to leave home? And, and there was times when I wanted to leave home. And there was times when my sisters wanted to leave home. Because he thought the environment they were in was too strict. Have you ever felt that you wanted to leave home? Is there times when you were so upset that you're thinking about yourself and says, I don't like living the way I am. I want to be like my friends. I want to leave home because I don't like the way my parents are dealing with me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that things aren't fair, that everything is against you, that you're the one that's getting all the things? And and I know about the older brother type of thing because I remember one time, my mother and my father, when my mother took the second job, when we started going towards high school age, my older sister, she left my older sister in charge one time for two hours. And my older sister did a good job, but from then on, she thought she was the boss. She, she, got, the, she got to do it one time, and it was just a temporary thing, but to her, it was a permanent thing. Now, I'm sure, Rachel, you're the oldest, right? I'm sure you felt the same way with Rachel, right? Yeah, see, because they get a little bit, they get a little bit of power and all of a sudden they think it's there forever. Amen. And if you have an older brother, or an older sister, you understand what I'm talking about. I, I have five older brothers and sisters, so I was on the bottom of the bean pile. Amen. But to, as we're discussing this, why did that young man want to go? And, and when he came to his father, it was all about him. It was all self-will. He'd been thinking about it for a while. This is not fair to me. Things aren't going the way they should be going. I need a change of scenery. And it doesn't say how old he was. It doesn't say, you know, if he was 16, If you know, you know the Jewish boys, wouldn't what what they do their, their thing when they become 13? Maybe he was 13 years old and he says, I'm, I'm a man now. I, it's time for me to go. It doesn't say how old he was. But any time we rebel, anytime you come against authority, anytime you don't want to study, anytime you think that you know you can get away with things at at school and everything, it all begins with self will. It's all about you. It's about what you want. Amen. And then when he made the decision to ask Dad for the money, his inheritance, and, and father gave him his inheritance, it became a selfish. See, there's a difference between self-will and selfishness. Because self-will is about you, but when you, when you do something in, in, in the act of selfishness, you don't care how it hurts anybody else. You don't care how it affects anybody else. See, when you make a do something at school that you shouldn't be doing, you, you know, you, you try to get away with something, you don't realize that not only did it affect you if you get caught, but what it does to your parents. Or what does it does to your brothers and sisters. Or what does it does to your reputation to your family. You just don't understand all these things. But when you make that act of selfishness, when you do that act, it's because you want to prove yourself or something about you, but you don't care about anybody else's feelings or anybody else around you. See, this is the way rebellion starts. See, this, this is a cause of rebellion. It always begins with self-will, and then it will always be followed by an act of selfishness. Amen? And then the third thing that's going to happen, is going to separation that's going to come. And we saw the separation, amen, when he, he took the money that he got, he got his inheritance, and he separated himself from his family. He left his family because he wanted to be on his own. He got tired of being told what to do. Now he could be his own boss and he could make his own decisions. He thought that his way of living would be better than working and living with his father. So he wanted to separate himself. He wanted to get away from the family. He wants, hey, I'm big enough to take care of myself. Amen, are you, are you with me here? Okay, then as we go down the downward slide of rebellion because it all begins with self-will, then came the selfishness, then came the separation. Then the next thing that comes in is sensuality. And what sensuality is, we see it in verse 13. Got to go back a page. Hallelujah. He says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a dentist, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Sensuality, a fondness, it's a fondness or an indulgence for sexual pleasure or the fleshly things that will make you feel good. Now, it can be more than sex, it could be drinking, it could be smoking, it could be doing drugs, amen? It could be anything in those things that makes you feel a little more better than you think you are, amen? Something that makes you feel good, and it, every, all of these things of the world are what? They're just a temporary thing anyway. But they don't understand these things, amen? Because their friends are partying all the time, amen? Sensuality, and like I said, this will include sex, food, alcohol, and drugs. He was searching for happiness in worldly things, amen? And, and we can find that, you can find that trap, and, and I see it a lot with a lot of young people, especially those raised in the Christian home, because the rules and regulations that they live by are a little different than the world's way especially when there's some children out there that have a one, one parent and the parent isn't around to watch them, so they, they're pretty much on their own, can do what they want to do. Amen. And, and then you see these people where I, I see uh, girls that there's a good-looking guy and the guy kind of flirts with them once in a while and they really like the guy and then the guy is going to a party, so they have to go to the party because he's going to be there. But then they realize that two or three other girls like this guy too and they're all going to the party. And so all of a sudden, they feel like left out. I don't have a chance. To, the guy I really want to be my boyfriend, the guy I really want to be, a, to be a, have fun with, the guy that I really want to be in relationship with, I can't even be near him. He's going to this party, and all these other girls are going there, and all my competition's there, where am I? Or it could be the other way around. It could be a guy and the most beautiful girl that's going there, and you've got a crush on this girl, and you want to be around this girl, and she's going to the party, and yet all the other guys are talking about it, and they're all going to the party, and you can't go. Have you ever been there? It's a little bit of life, isn't it? That's what life seems to be a, a like quite a bit. Amen? I still, I still have some people. I, met, I counseled some people that I counseled a lady that was all upset with, uh, with her best friend because her best friend stole her boyfriend 35 years ago. <laughs> well, who cares? I said, you got the better end of the deal. I said, what do you mean I got the better end? She got him. I said, yeah, but they're divorced now. I said, you got the better end of the deal. He cheated on you once before. He's going to cheat on you again. You're better off without him. She never saw that. She was just mad at her girlfriend because she stole her boyfriend from her. What a way to live a life carrying all that pain and hurt over something so stupid. But. That's life. That's what you deal with. People, you deal with it every single day, you know, with counseling, you know, and and, and you deal with all these feelings because people don't know how to let go of these things. But when you're dealing with life and, and you're dealing with this little rebellious attitude, and I've been rebelling. I rebelled before with my father a little bit. But thank God I caught myself before I got to that point where I was so far out I couldn't come back. Amen. Well, we can can always come back with God, amen. Amen. But if you don't know God, it's kind of hard to get back. (laughs) Amen. But we see what happens next. Sensuality comes in because that's when you start to get involved in things you shouldn't be involved. And the hard thing about being involved with sex and and alcohol and drugs is that it, when you get caught into these things you just start partying things and you never have enough money to do anything and then you start doing things you shouldn't be doing to get money and that's where a lot of girls get caught into sex that's where a lot of people get caught into stealing and thievery and anything dishonesty whatever they can do to keep their habits going amen we we can see it everywhere it's all around us so The next thing that happens is spiritual destruction, especially if you've been raised in a church and you start following the world and the things of the world. Eventually, the world is going to take over and spiritual destruction is going to come in. You're going to find out that the things of and in the world cannot bring true happiness or satisfaction. He was looking for fulfillment in worldly things and wasted all his time, money, and all his energy trying to find it. He never made an effort to save or invest any of his inheritance. Because he was so busy chasing the world and what the world had to offer that he wasted all his money. Now the things I found out in, in my life going through high school and even when I was in the service, the people who had the cars were the most popular people. Everybody wanted to be a friend with somebody who had a car because if you had a car, you always had some place to go. Amen. But as soon as that person didn't have the car, he wasn't popular anymore, right? It's because that's the way it is, you know. When you got the money, everybody wants to be your friend because they'll try to talk you into paying for everything and you just go along for the ride. But as soon as they run out of money, he runs out of friends. I don't know if it's like that anymore, but that's the way it was when I grew up. Amen? Spiritual destruction. And, and when spiritual destruction comes in, it doesn't matter. I've seen a lot of young people that were raised in Christian homes that just couldn't wait to get away from home because they wanted to live the way like their friends were living. And I saw a lot of them when I was in the service. I saw a lot of Christians come into service. I wasn't a Christian when I was in the service. I knew who God was. I was Catholic, you know, and, and I went to church every Sunday. But I saw a lot of my friends totally destruct themselves. Because they got caught into the world, especially with the drinking and, and, and looking for, for sex every time they went on leave and the partying, you know. And, and I remember we used to do, we did a lot of heavy drinking when we were in the service. It was just one of those things that you were just part of the world. That's, that was the way life was. And, and you were partied every time, every chance you had an opportunity, you partied. But there was no satisfaction in that. I just thank God. The only thing I can thank God through the whole experience is I never had a hangover. I don't know what a hangover is. I've never had one. But I saw all my friends the morning after. It was terrible. But I thank God that I've never experienced that. Praise God. He brought me through that somehow. Amen. But I I saw the destruction come in. And I saw those that were really hungry for God all of a sudden not read their Bibles anymore. And and they got so caught in the world and the world just dragged them down. And, and they, had no, they, they didn't want to go to church anymore. They lost all their sense of purpose. See, there's, there's so much in the story that you just don't see because it just gives you the quick Reader's Digest details. You know, but if you really seek and you, and you meditate and you, and you look between the lines and you can look at your life and you can look at the life of other people's, you can see where the self-destruction can come in. Amen? And then this is what happens here, this destruction can come in and destroy everything that you live for. And then you'll, you'll be one of those that was raised in a church and then all of a sudden you don't even go to church anymore. And, and then you marry somebody who's not a Christian. And then your whole life is a turmoil. And then you're having problems at home and there's the drinking, there's the fighting, there's the arguing, and everybody wants a divorce. They're running to mama, they're running to daddy, they're running to all their friends for advice. And the interesting thing about the world as I found this out, you know, I, there, was a, there was a while there when I drove a school bus. And, and I remember when I, we used to get together before, uh, we used to go out on our trips. And, and the people used to come and gather together and used to fellowship a little bit. That the people that were having marriage problems always went to the people who were divorced three or four times for advice. Why are you going to somebody who's divorced two or three times for advice to keep your marriage together? I haven't figured that one out yet. But that's what happens. They're all going to their friends for advice and their friends can't keep their own marriages together and they're trying to give you advice how to keep yours together. A little side journey there. It just came up. Amen. Somebody needed to hear it. I don't know. Anyway. So we see the steps to the downward slide. It begins with self-will. Then selfishness comes in, separation, sensuality comes to bloom, followed by spiritual destruction. And then the next thing that happens, we see in verse 15, is what we call self-embasement. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. He came to a point of humiliation. And I've seen a lot of people come to that point to the point of of just being humbled, humiliation. A rich young man from a wealthy family out in the fields feeding the pigs. He felt so unworthy and was filled with a sense of guilt and there seemed to be no hope in his situation. And his pride at that time was gone. And he was too prideful at that time to even go home and, tell, and, and ask for help. He made his decisions. He thought it was the best way to go. And then all of a sudden he found himself to a, to a sense of humiliation. And then that's followed by starvation. Not only in the natural sense, but in the spiritual sense. He came to a point in his life when he was starving for food something to drink and probably trying to get some attention coming from a rich family he always had food and drink on his table usually was attended to by his servants and by his hired hands now he was alone no one seemed to care about his needs and no one seemed to care about what he was going through the point of self pity have you ever been there have you ever felt that way See, it's a, it's a downward slide. See, but what it always begins with self-will. It always begins when it's all about you. When you feel that the world owes you something. When you feel things aren't the way they should be. When you feel you're getting the raw deal. When you feel that nobody cares. That's where it all begins. When you start making the feelings that nobody cares about you, when they do love you, but you always seem to be that way because, hey, how come my brother always gets the new clothes and I always get the hand-me-downs? How come my older brother always gets to go where he wants to go and I can't go where I want to go? How come he gets to do the easy chores and I always have the hard ones? How come he always gets to tell me what to do? Why is it always my fault? It's always my fault. I'm the one that gets blamed for everything. And that's because my sister's a tattletale. <laughs> or my brother's a tattletale. They always play favorites with that one. You I had a younger sister that we all despised when we were young because she, got, she was the favorite. She got everything she wanted. She got everything she wanted. <laughs> hey. The truth hurts, doesn't it? The truth hurts. (laughs) Oh, am I touching some toes today or what? (laughs) But see, this is what life is like. This is what you feel when you're growing up. You feel like you're getting the last straw. You feel everybody's the favorite. You're not getting what you should get. You know, and and, and it's it's these type of things where you feel, you know. I, I never realized how much my mother and my father cared about us and our education because they were always working, 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 working. They were working two or three, my mother was working two or three jobs. My father was working all he could because he wanted us to have this education. And and when Christmas came, you know, there wasn't any gifts on the table because all the money went to our school. They wanted us, our kids are going to be somebody. It was all about us, you know, but we didn't realize it when we were the kids, you know. If I wanted clothes for school, I spent all summer out there, you know, on the cherry, picking cherries and, and picking blueberries and, and out there on the onion fields and apples, you know. I did all, all, if I wanted new clothes, I had to go work for my new clothes. That's the way it was, you know. And I, and I got tired of doing that because all my friends were at the beach all summer. You know, we, we live in Michigan. We have lakes all around us, you know. All our friends are at the lake having fun all summer. And I'm out there picking blueberries, you know. It, it, was, I didn't, it wasn't fair, not fair. And, and I didn't realize how much effort my, my parents were putting into it until I, I grew up and had kids of my own. But see, we have a different perspective when we're young. We don't see things for what they really are. We only see things from our point of view. And when you start seeing things about your point of view and you feel like you're getting the short end of the stick, then it starts becoming about you and that's when the first seed to rebellion. Because all of a sudden, you're going to start making decisions and you don't care how, any, how it affects anybody else because you're going to get what you want to do. You're going to do what you want to do because it, it's going to please you. And that little sensuality starts taking place. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're trying smoking, you're trying drinking, and you're doing things you shouldn't be doing because it's all about you because you feel you're getting the raw deal. And that's what I feel this young man was feeling because this young man felt like he was getting the short stick. Amen? But let's look at what it's going to take to get you back because there were seven steps to rebellion, starting with self-will, going to selfishness, then separation came, sensuality took over, spiritual destruction took place. Self-abasement and humiliation came, starvation. Now, just remember this. Self-will is the root to rebellion. Rebellion is sin. If it is not dealt with, it will lead to spiritual destruction. Okay? Now let's look at the upward climb. Let's continue reading the story here. Amen. Verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now it's found. So they begin to celebrate. The upward climb. The return. It all begins first of all with realization. You have to face the facts. You have to become practical. You have to get wisdom. You have to get understanding. You have to take a, a honest look at where you're at. Amen. That's. The, it, it all begins. You have to take, you know, if you... If, if everyone truly on New Year's Day, you know, when we make all these resolutions, if they really took an honest look at themselves, where am I now spiritually? Where am I now in the natural? What changes do I really need to make? What habits do I need really to deal with? And if you really look at, took, took a close eye and you realize, okay, if I want to be here next year, then I'm really going to have to start doing something now. You can put it all down, but if you just try for a couple days and let it all go, then what good is it? Amen? But it begins with taking an honest look at yourself. And he came to a point where he realized, he said, wait a minute, something is not right here. <laughs> he says, my father's got slaves, and he's got hired hands that are sitting and getting fed at his table every single day. I screwed up. I'm not worthy to be called his son anymore because I blew it. But I can go back to him, and even if he hires me as a hired hand, I'll be better off than I am right now. A little bit is better than nothing. Well, if you got nothing, I tell you what, if you have a dollar in your pocket, it might not be ten, but a dollar is better than nothing, isn't it? Amen. And so, a little bit is better than So he took an honest look at himself. And he realized that things weren't going the way he thought they were going to go. Amen. He faced the facts. He became practical. Amen. So the next thing comes is a resolution. What am I going to do to change my situation? What do I need to do to change my situation for where I am now to make it better? See, after taking a look at himself he may he resolved to make a change and the change he decided he says when i came to when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired men have food to spare and here i am starving to death i will set back to go see my father so he made he made he found a solution to his problem he resolved to make a change and in life we have to make changes Because our situation isn't going to change until we take an honest look at ourselves and resolve to change our circumstances. Amen? Change isn't going to come by saying it's going to come. It takes discipline. It takes action. Amen? It takes a positive commitment to change. And he resolved to change his situation. He was not settling for what what he was having because he screwed up. Amen? So... The third thing we see. He said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He repented. He came to a point of realizing I made a mistake. I not only sinned against my parents, not only sinned against my father, I have sinned against God. See? And and sometimes it takes a lot to say I'm wrong. It's very hard sometimes to say I'm sorry. It's very hard to say forgive me when you hurt someone. It's very hard to say I blew it. It's very hard to go into your prayer closet when you've been asking for God to bless you and all these things to say, Father, I blew it. You asked me to do something, I didn't do it. I did it my way, not your way. And, and you come to that point of repentance. Amen? And, and so a, it, it begins, first of all, with the realization of, amen, you have to really take an honest look at yourself. You have to resolve to make the change. Repent about what you've been doing because you've been doing it wrong all along. <laughs> amen? So you might as well deal with it not only be, not only in your own company, but it's also good to, to just get before God and tell him you're sorry, because he died for you that you could have an abundant life. He died for you to be blessed in the city, blessed in the country. He blessed that you he, he died that you could have divine health. He, did, he died that you could have prosperity. And if you're not walking in these things, then we're doing something wrong. So it's time to just be honest with ourselves, take a close look. what do I need to do to change and get before God and just repent? I missed it, Lord. Thank you. Amen. We have to come to that point. And then, the next thing that happens, hallelujah, he says, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and he went to his father. The next thing that happens is to return. To go or to come back. Jesus said, The Lord says, return to me and I will return to you. Amen. And if we make that decision to go seek God because we can't do it on our own, we blew it. We tried it in our own strength and it didn't work out. We finally came to to see it with the light that we should see it in. Amen. Realize it's not God's fault, it's our fault. We're the one that made the mistake. We're the one that made the wrong path. We're the one that tried to do it our own way and it didn't work out. Amen. We repent and return, go back to God. Amen. You return. Then comes reconciliation. We see that coming up. Verse 20, he went up, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the dad had nothing to do with that. He says, I'm not listening to that. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. Reconciliation means to make friendly again. It means to reconcile. Amen. It's to bring things back to the way they were before. Amen. And that's the good thing about God. You know, we can miss it at any time, but if we repent, the word of God says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, puts us right back in right standing with him as if sin never existed. Amen. And so the father, is a, the father in this story is a type of, of God. Amen. And he reconciles us when we come back with a repentant heart. Amen. To make friendly again. Then comes reclothing. We get our righteousness right back. Amen. But, but it also means that you have the same rights and benefits as you had before you, you blew it, before you sinned. And if you look at these things, they really, have a, they really mean a lot to you. See? Because you put a robe upon him. And the robe signifies position. In the Old Testament times, the robe signified your royalty. It, it, it signified who your family was. You know, you, you, when you wore a robe, you had a certain... Signal, you know, stuff on it that would tell them, hey, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a priest. Every, every, every piece of clothing meant something. And it signified your position in society. Amen. And when he put that robe back on him, he says, you are, now, you are now my son again. You now have the family robe again. Amen. You have the same position you had before. That's what it means to put that robe on. The ring is the ring of authority. It means you had the same authority you had before. Amen. And every time I think of that ring of authority, I always think of the movie Ben-Hur. Now, have any of you, everybody ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? You know, when, when he was thrown as a slave to work. But then he saved, he saved one of the officials of Caesar's. And the official of Caesar's brought him up and he says, I'm going to adopt you as my son. And he took the ring off his finger and gave him the ring. Once he had the ring, he had the same authority as his adopted father had. And so when he went back to Jerusalem and there was the Roman soldier that put him in prison, he came back now with the ring of authority. Now he had authority over him because he had the same authority as his adopted father had because he had the ring of authority. And we have that ring. We have the name of Jesus. Amen. That's the authority that we've been given. Amen. And so I always think of that movie because it it, it makes it so clear how that authority comes with that ring. And that's what that ring stands for. He he says, son, you have the same authority you had before you left. He puts sandals on his feet. And the sandals stand for freedom. Because in the Old Testament times, slaves could not wear shoes. Only free people were allowed to wear shoes. So that told him that you are now free again. Amen. So now you have your position back. You have your authority back. And you have your freedom back. Amen. That's the way God takes care of us. There's the reclothing. Anytime we sin and we repent before God that robe of righteousness comes right back on you as if sin never existed. And you can stand before God with all the rights and benefits of a believer. Hallelujah. You command, call things that are not as though they were because you have the authority and the power in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so we see that and then the rejoicing comes. The party. There's always rejoicing in heaven when the lost sheep comes back home. Amen. And so we can see the steps that cause you to go down and we can see the steps that will bring you right back. But there's a little bit more to the story. I just want to share one last thing about you. This, Because if you read the you keep on reading the story, there was a second brother, the older brother. And the older brother got all upset with dad when the younger brother came back home. And he heard the noise. He heard all the partying going on. And one of the servants came out and he said, what's going on in the house? He says, your son, your little brother has come back and your dad's having a party for him. And he got all angry and all upset. And so dad came out to reconcile with him. He says, what's the matter, son? He says, I've been here all these years faithful to you. I've been faithful and faithful and faithful. And this little brother of mine who goes out and parties with prostitutes and sex and waste all his money, comes back home and you receive him back and you have a party for him he's all jealous he's all upset now there's one thing you need to understand let's go back to the beginning when the father divided the property between them okay he said he divided the property between them the older brother got twice as much as the younger brother because he was the firstborn. So yeah, twice as much to begin with. Now, he got angry at this father, he says, I've been here all these years, and not once have you ever gave me a fattened calf that I can enjoy with my friends. And what did the father say, Son, everything I have is yours? Well, of course it says he gave it to him. He gave him their inheritance. He says, if you wanted to have a party, you could have a party anytime you want to. And see, there's a lot of people sitting in church. A lot of people who have been faithful. A lot of people who come to church every single Sunday. A lot of people that are there for Bible studies. A lot of people that are, are, are involved in the church. And they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for God to do something for them. They might, have been, they might be sick and been sick for years and years and years, been waiting for their healing. They might have been waiting for a new, for a new job. They might have been waiting for this. And they've been faithful and faithful and faithful. And then that drunk comes in the door. And he gets set free. Gets filled with the Holy Ghost. And then all of a sudden, pastor feels, I feel we need to bless him. He takes an offering and the guy, get the, the, he raises $1,000, $2,000, comes in from the people he just bless this guy. And the person's sitting there and he's all upset at God. He said, I've been faithful for 20 years waiting for a blessing and I haven't received nothing from you. And yet this drunk comes in the door and you get him set free and you take an offering for him and you raise $1,500 for him. And people don't get upset. People don't get mad. That's just like the other brother. But don't you realize God has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. God has already blessed you. God has already prospered you. God has already healed you. God has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Amen. Amen. He's given you 4,000 promises and they're all yes and amen in Christ. Amen. Ask, believe and you receive, you'll have whatever you ask for. He gives you the desires of your heart. See, you're waiting for God to move and God says, get off your chair and do something yourself. And see, that's the way the second son was. He was faithful, but he never used his authority. He never, He never enjoyed what the father had given. He never enjoyed his inheritance. Don't be like the older son. Don't be the sleeping giant. Rise up. Rise up and start using your authority that God has given you. You have the robe. You are a child of God. You have the name of Jesus. You have the power. Amen. You are free for you are redeemed from the curse of sickness and disease. You are redeemed from the curse of poverty. Amen. You are free. The blood of Jesus has set you free. So start rejoicing in the blessings you have. Start enjoying what God has for you. Don't settle for anything less than God's best. Amen. And so I really pray today that you just take a, a look, especially since we're coming towards New Year's. It's a time when everybody makes all these resolutions. Be honest with yourself. Really take a look at where you're at. Take a look at where you're at physically, spiritually. Take a look at where things are in perspective. Take a real good look and say, where do I want to be next year at this time next year? What do I need to do to get where I want to be? And set your goals beyond because even if you don't reach your the, the beyond goals, you might go past the goals that you really want to reach. But if you don't set your goals higher, you're going to settle for something less. Set your goals high. And say, what do I need to do? You know, this last year, you know, when I, when I shared here the last time, when I talked about prayer, what God did for me in my prayer life, because that was one area I was really lacking in. And God showed me how to put that prayer manual together, and He showed me how to start using that prayer manual. And I don't need the prayer manual anymore because every time my wife and I sit, I can I can I can say about 95% of it without even opening the book. Because I've said it enough times, we prayed it enough times, and it's so in me, it's so easy. Diane and I can drive down the road, and we'll just—it just keeps on going through both of us. Because it's developed my prayer life and made me a stronger prayer warrior. But it was a change that God had me do, and it started when He said, "Will you pray for a ministry for for a day if I tell you to?" And I said yes. He said, "Will you pray for 30 ministries?" I go, "Huh?" That's going to take all my time. It'll take my whole day. He says, no, I want you to pray for 30 st- one ministry every single day for 30 days. You know, every day, one day of the month, I want you to pray. Now, we pray for yours once a month. We pray for this church, and we pray for our pastors here once a month. Amen? And he says, Will you do it for a year. So I got a list. I got them all listed out, the days of the month. And we pray for them, and then I write down notes of what I, we prayed for, that, what the Lord's showing me. And then I'll, I'll get on the Internet, and I'll send them a message. We pray for you today. And if, if God gives me something to share with them, I'll share the Lord said this and he said that so they would know. And it's so much developed my prayer life. It's changed my prayer life. Amen. But there's more changes I need to make. And, and I'm starting to look at things because I'm, I'm listening to sermons that we've, we listened to 10, 15 years ago. They're still so alive now. They make so much sense now. And, and they're just really speaking to our hearts. But we have to come to that realization of what do we want? Where do we want to be? And make the positive decisions to say, this is what I need to do to get there. And even if it hurts, because change hurts. Change hurts. Dieting hurts. Exercising hurts. It's pain to exercise. And I remember when I was in Bible school, the first time I wanted to, I I, I said I was going to get up an hour early to pray before I went to school. I wanted to spend time praying. And the first time I got up, the alarm went off and I turned the alarm back off and rolled over. I said, I'll start tomorrow. It took me five days to get out of bed. Five days. And then I had trouble because I was laying in bed and I kept on falling asleep. And so I finally made a decision the second week that I was gonna go out in the living room. So I went out in the living room, then I was falling asleep on the couch. See, it just took a while to get my body disciplined. It took a while to get to that point of where I could do that. And see, it hurt and it takes, and your, your flesh doesn't want to make the change. But you have to decide. And for you young people, what do you want out of life? Where do you want to be when you graduate? Where, do you want to go to school? Do you want to go to college? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a lawyer? What do you want out of life? And don't wait till you're senior to start making that decision. You should start making those decisions now. And you have to start working towards those goals. Learn how to study. If you have trouble studying, find somebody who knows how to study and learn how to study. Learn how to prepare. Don't wait to the last minute to study for your test. Oh, I got an exam tomorrow. I'll stay up all night studying. You should be studying before, just little by little by little, and the, and the Holy Spirit will give you remembrance of what you studied if you seek him to help you. Amen? But don't settle for anything less. Make the decision that you're going you're gonna to receive your goals. You're not going to settle for the flesh. You're not going to settle for the partying. You're not going to settle for the what well, everybody else is doing. That you're going to make a decision that you're going to be all you can be because everything you say and everything you do, you're going to give glory to God for it. And if you remember that and focus on that, then don't mess around with your life because every decision now is going to determine your future tomorrow. Amen? And I just pray that this message touched your heart because I know it touched mine. Be blessed. Amen. I'm going to grab my water. You're welcome. You know, I didn't think in the sometimes we you of messages, just the best And I so I'll tell you what Amen. Thank you.